Well, we have, as we've been doing this scripture memory verse of a week focus this year, we, uh, we begin first with going over it a few times, and you might have noticed the last couple of weeks I, I had stopped taking out words, you know, just to see what the feeling was, and I was encouraged in our ministry conference last Sunday to uh, reinstigate, or reinstitute, I guess, the uh, reinstitute, the use of those, huh? Reinstate. That's what I was looking for, isn't it? Reinstate the, uh, I was in the neighborhood, I was in the neighborhood, the use of uh, blacking out some words. So uh, this one's a little bit tricky, though. I like it when it's all on one slide and then the words just disappear, but we've got two slides because it's too many words otherwise. Uh, but let's go ahead, if you would, join with me. We're going to say Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, uh, once, and then we'll take away some words, and we'll do it again. We'll take away some more words, and we can do it again. And, and that's just a way of repetition, of um, going over it several times, but also when you take away those words, now you're having to put those words in yourself, but you don't have to memorize the whole thing all at once. So we'll do it the first time. It's got all the words there with it. Go ahead and uh, say it along with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. All right, now, real quick before we get off of that, notice those heart, soul, mind. One of the things I, I do to remember which one's which or which order is heart and might both have a T at the end. And so I, I just remember it's a T, it's an oddity, it's a T. So heart soul, might. That way I don't get mixed up and go heart, might, soul. Maybe you're not going to be messed up. Maybe I've just messed you up. We'll see. But that, you know, you got to figure out those little, those little tricks to, to help yourself, all right? So now we're going to take some words away, all right? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Ah, good job, good job. All right, let's, let's take away a lot more big words and let's see how we do. Ooh, 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 it's getting tricky now. All right, here we go. Ready? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Very good. Very good. And uh, as I mentioned in the um, opening, you know, that, that is in the Gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. And each one of them is a, a little bit different, right? Uh, but this is the, the original. This is out of... Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, and this was uh, when, when Moses was getting ready to let the people of, 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 of Israel go on without him, and he was going to die, and he was giving a new generation all the history and all the gu guidance that God had given him to give them. And this is uh, traditionally called the Shema, and, uh, which is based off the first word here, Shema. And oftentimes, and even today, an Israelite or a Jewish man will, or, or woman, you know, 
practicing Jewish person will repeat this at least a couple of times a day. Jesus called it the greatest commandment. But I don't know that that was necessarily something that he came up with. Uh, There's evidence of uh, post-biblical rabbinical practices that the Jewish people all agreed and understood, those that were scholars, they understood that this was the commandment, that all other commandments were built upon. That's why in the Gospel of Luke, when uh, a, a teacher comes to Jesus and says, well, you know, how can I have eternal life? Jesus asks, you know, Luke is the one where Jesus doesn't actually say it. Matthew and Mark, Jesus says it, but in Luke, Jesus says, well, what do you think? You know, what, what's the greatest commandment? And the man repeats it to Jesus and says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And Jesus says, that's right. Oh, and, and the man also includes the second greatest commandment, which is, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's when Jesus says, you're right. Do this and you will live. And then the man says, well, wait a minute now. Who's my neighbor? How do I, how do I live that one out? He wasn't concerned about the first part. He understood the first part as far as he thought. But this is... Uh, an important passage, and it, even though it begins with, Hear, O Israel, it's still important and good for us today. It is for the people of God, and we are the people of God. And remember, as we looked at last week, that the criterion through which we interpret Scripture is Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ said, this is the greatest commandment. And as we are believers in Jesus, even though it was originally for the Israelites, it speaks to us today as well. So let's go ahead and and go a little bit deeper and and work with and look into Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Let's go ahead and first just begin with Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where uh, Jesus, (laughs) Moses tells the people, hear, O Israel, listen, open up your ears to hear. When he calls on them to hear O Israel. He's calling on the people as a group, as a, as a congregation, that they would all hear. But this, this word hear, the way it is said and the way it is used, doesn't just mean to you know, actually pick up the sound waves coming through. Not just to hear what he has said, but when he has said it, to live it out, to obey it. The, the, the call To hear implies that we would obey. So when he says hear, he means pay attention, listen, but also do what I'm telling you to do. Live this out. Obey is implied in the call to hear. You know, it reminds me of, you know, the times when God has said, well, not just God has said, but the psalmist have said, you know, Today, if you hear his voice, don't be like your fathers, but listen to him. You know, or James, James in chapter 1, verse 22, he tells us to, to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who uh, delude themselves because they hear the word and then they don't do anything about it. Can you imagine hearing God speak? God says, do X. And you can say, oh, okay, God, I see that. Let me go and do Y. What is that? 
That, that, that's rebellion, that's disobedience, that's insanity, which we're good at doing. It's not smart. The call to hear, if you're going to hear God, why would you hear God and then not do what he said? You know, in, in, in our house, I don't necessarily say hear, but sometimes I do have to say to my kids, listen to me, hear me. You know, and it's implied. You better actually do what I'm telling you to do. Listen to me. Hear the words coming out of my mouth and make your actions follow them. It's implied that we would obey. So when, when Moses is telling the people of God, the Israelites, hear, O Israel, obey what follows. And, and what follows, if we go back to verse 4 there. Uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Now the NAS translates it, the Lord is our God. Some translations just say the Lord is God. Not, it, not, not is God, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. The Lord our God. And they, they'll drop out that is. Um, I like the idea of when we say the Lord is our God. He is our God. And the Lord is one. Now what, what is, what's meant by that? There's a lot of different ways. There, there's a couple different ways that are primarily how this passage, this verse is translated. A lot of them it's the way you see it. You know, the, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Some of them it is the Lord our God is one Lord is also a, a way it's been translated. The idea that he is singular, he is one. He is a unity in himself. Uh, it kind of helps to, to understand where this, this idea came from, this oneness of God. Because you notice, do you notice in, in, in the words there that Lord is spelt with uh, all capitals? It's got a, a, a large L and then a small capital O-R-D. I'm, I'm following the practice of the New American Standard Bible that I use, which is that whenever the word, uh, the name of God is used, they don't write it out. We don't know how to pronounce it. We don't necessarily even know how to spell it in English. Uh, unfortunately, by the time Jesus came along, in fact, if you, if you notice in, uh, in the Gospels, nobody ever calls God Yahweh or Jehovah, which are the ways that it's typically uh, pronounced by English-speaking people. Because uh, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just replace Lord in the place, or they'll put Lord in the place of God's name. Right? So when you see all capital Lord as opposed to a lowercase O-R-D, if it's a lowercase O-R-D, it means it's the actual word for Lord. But when it's all capitals like that, what, what that's saying is that in the original Hebrew, it was actually a Y-H-W-H, as, as we use them in English. And that's where we go, we think maybe Yahweh? And back, back in the day, it used to be a J instead of a Y, and that's why they got Jehovah. You know, you could say Jehovah even if, if you wanted to mix them up together. But the name that, so, so really what we're seeing there isn't, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Really what you were saying, what, what Moses said to the people was, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, and I'm just going to go with Yahweh because that's kind of what's traditionally or widely accepted in America today, okay? Yahweh is our God. 
Yahweh is one. He was actually saying the name of God there. He wasn't saying the Lord. No, his name. And it's a shame that over the years, because Jewish people were so afraid of taking the name of God in vain after uh, the exile, they actually stopped using it at all. In fact, if you look in Jewish writings, a lot of times they won't even write out G-O-D for God. It'll be G-D for God because they don't want to get in any trouble with taking his name in vain. And because of that, by the time Jesus was around, they didn't know how to pronounce Yahweh anymore. The actual Hebrew name that in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God came to Moses in the burning bush and God said to Moses, when, when Moses said, well, what's your name? I'm going to go to the Israelites. I'm going to tell them, hey, the God of your fathers has sent me. They're going to ask me for who you are. What's your name? What's your name? And God's answer is that God said to Moses, I am that I am, or I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And that was the first time he ever shared his name with a man. Prior, when he would visit with Abraham, he was God Almighty. But for the first time, he introduced himself and he told a man, I am who I am. Tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And that is the name that has gone and been understood to be either Jehovah or Yahweh and now is translated with that capital L-O-R-D. And it can be kind of you know, what is meant by I am who I am? And for us to try to understand a little bit better what God was getting at, because we are so far apart and because so much knowledge about this name has been lost on purpose, it kind of helps to, to, to look at other translations. And so one of the interesting things is if you go to the Septuagint, which is the, uh, the Greek Jewish scriptures, all right, so the, the Jewish people, as they were dispersed in the land, uh, they didn't all speak Hebrew anymore, they didn't all know Aramaic, and so they started translating the Bible, their Bible, Genesis, uh, the Old Testament for what is for us. They translated it into Greek. And the Septuagint, they translated Exodus 3.14, I am who I am, they translated into the Greek, and when you translate that Greek, the Septuagint, into English, it is, I am the one who is. I am the one who is. And then he says to them in the second part of the verse, the one who is has sent me to you. Now, that, that kind of puts an interesting little, not necessarily a twist, but a nuance to the name of God. I am who I am. I am. In a sense, I am means I, I am. I am the one who is. And that's what he's saying here. I am. Now, in the context of the world, in the context of going to Egypt, in the context of all the gods of Egypt and all the Mesopotamian gods and all the gods in the world, God says, I am the one who is. I am who I am. You cannot define me with a name. You know, all the names, all of our names, they, they define us to a certain extent. We can look at a person, we can say, oh yeah, they look like a Jonathan. Oh yeah, he looks like a Terry. You know, we can say those kind of things. Oh yeah, yeah, that person, oh, he, he looks like a Dion, yeah. 
You can't say that about God. He is who he is. He is. And, and the, the, the gods of the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the, all the people back then, the names meant something about what they did. A lot of times those gods had different jobs and different responsibilities and different things that they were in charge of. And you have the same thing today with you know, uh, Christian saints. You, 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 you want to have a good travel? Well, you pray to this saint. You want a, you know, a good job? You pray to that saint. You, you spread it out. No. All those gods, all those Egyptian gods, all those Mesopotamian gods, all those Babylonian gods, they are nothing. They do not exist. They exist in people's minds. They exist in people's hands that they've created. They don't exist. All the gods of India, all the gods of China and Japan and all the lands, they do not exist. They are not real gods. They may be demons, but they are not gods. God, the Lord, Yahweh, is that he is. He is the one who is. When he says, I am who I am, I am the one who is. He is the only God. God is the only God. And when he says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, you can take that one as in singular. He is the only God. There are no other gods. Now when he has to say to the Israelites, put no other gods before me, he's not saying he's one out of a group and he wants you to uh, only follow him. No, what he's saying is, is don't put any of these false gods, any of these not real gods before me. But he is the only God. Part of that, uh, the Lord is one, is also his singular uh, unity. And, and the belief in the Trinity that God is one in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, does not go against the idea that the Lord is one. As Jesus said himself, I and the Father are one. In fact, Jesus says, you know, for Sinning against me can be forgiven, but sinning against the Holy Spirit cannot be. He has elevated the Holy Spirit to the same level. He says, we're all one. God is one. Yahweh is one. He is the one who is. And it's, isn't it a shame that we so often, not, not necessarily us here, but people in general, will put other gods before the one who is. He is the one who is. And, and, and you don't have to have a little statue and you don't have to bow down and worship it. Money becomes our God at times. Wealth becomes our God. Our health becomes our God. A lot of things can be placed between us and God. Our trust in our government, our trust in our military, our trust in our might, a lot of things can become a God to us. They are not God. God is the only one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. And, and just think about this. It doesn't matter if you believe in him or not. He's still your God. Because he is the God of the universe. He is the one that 
keeps us together. He is the one that helps us to live. He is the one that gives us what we need. He sends the rain on the wicked and the good equally. Whether a person acknowledges him or not doesn't make them outside of his realm. He is our God. He is one. He is the only one. He is the one who is. And he needs no other name. There is no way we can capture him and make an image of him. There is no way we can express everything there is about him. There is no way we can uh, explain all there is. He is beyond every possibility of ours. We can capture portions. Even as the Son has come and, and Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We still haven't seen the full glory of Jesus yet. God is the only God. So why don't we obey him then? Why listen to all the other voices out there and all the other guidances out there when he is the only God? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. So what do we, what do, we do? How do we respond? In Deuteronomy 6, 5, Moses tells the people, he says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, the whole uh, thing is couched in the language of covenant. They're his people, he is their God. They're being called together to follow him and to believe in him and to obey him. In the chapter right before, they just recounted the Ten Commandments. And now they're told, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one, you shall love Yahweh, your God. Notice we say you shall love the Lord, but it's capital. So that needs to clue us in, we're really talking about his actual name. With all your love, Yahweh, your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Basically, what Moses is telling the people is that, and, and, and calling you to hear and say that if this is God, we need to listen to what he tells us and we need to obey what he tells us. And the best and primary way that we can respond to him, the, the, the proper response to God is love. Love is the proper response to God. As, as, as God has come and spoken to us, and just think of all the different ways we can respond to God. Some people respond to God with legalism. You know, oh, well, I need to make sure I do these five things to make sure God is happy with me. And as long as I do these things, I'm all right. It doesn't have to be five, it could be 20. But the focus is on the things, not on God. God's desire for us that now that we know who he is and that he has shown himself to us and he has given us his, his guidance and his speech and let us know his expectation of us is that we would love him, that we would respond to him in love. He has shown us love, the expectation is we would show him love back. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, talking about having no other gods before them, not making any idols, uh, God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generation 
of those who hate me. And then verse 10, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Jesus shows us and tells us that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. The way we show our love to God is by keeping his commandments, but the only way we can keep his commandments is if we love him first. The the focus isn't that we would start doing things. The focus is that we would love him and out of our love for him, then we would find ourselves fulfilling those commandments and doing those things. So when he says, hear, O Israel, I mean, you know, and remember, to hear means to obey. It's a hard thing to say, love me. Start loving me now. Oh, love me more. You're not loving me more. It's almost like my old drill instructors, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. You know, the morale never improves while you're being beaten, right? You have to fake it. That is not God. He is not sitting there telling us, you better start loving me or I'm going to really tear into you. No. But obey. Respond to what I've said. What, is, what does he call us to do? You, know, you think of all the religions out there and all the crazy things that people are trying to do to appease their gods. You don't have to blow yourself up to love God or to obey God. You don't have to kill a bunch of other people to get into God's good graces here. No, what does he call us to do? Love him. Has he done anything for us not to love him? Has he done anything to cause us to say, oh, I really can't stand that guy? No. If anything, our problem is with ourselves that we sin and we get too close to the holiness of God and it makes us uncomfortable with that. That does not stop us from being able to love him. We can love him because he is gracious and loving and has loved us first. And his, his call for us is to respond in love. Remember, this is as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. This is the people of God who were slaves in Egypt and he brought them out. And he led them through the wilderness and he led them through the Red Sea and he fed them daily. He has provided for them the whole way. He loves them even in their rebellion, even in their grumbling, even in their dissatisfaction, he loves them. He still loves us too, even in your grumbling, even in your dissatisfaction, even in your disobedience. He loves us and he calls us to love him back. Love is the proper response to what he has done for us. He is the only God. Jesus Christ is the only way He is the only hope for salvation, and he gave himself for us. And what does he ask us to do? A bunch of duties, a bunch of a list of things that we have to make sure we accomplish for him? No. Walk with him, love him, be with him, follow him. That's all we got to do. And it's all wrapped up, and as Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The greatest commandment, love the Lord. All other commandments, all the things that God wants us to do, that he calls on us to do, are, are, are found in this. That if we live our lives loving him, it follows that you will do those other things. And then when you don't do them, you go to him and ask for forgiveness, and you repent, and he forgives you. It's set up that way. It's the easiest thing is, to, is if we love 
the rest follow. We love him. 6.5 here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, now the heart in, in biblical times had the idea of the inner person, uh, of, of your thought process, of your will almost. So t- the heart was uh, kind of like what we would say for our minds today. This is probably why some of the New Testament writers, actually, Jesus has it split up into four parts, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because the heart carried the idea of the mind. And the soul, the soul has the idea of the, your very life, yourself, that invisible part of who you are, that piece that we can't quite find. But we all know it's there, we all feel it, we all have it, it's who we are. It's not just our, our thought processes, it's not just our, our emotions, but our very self. And then might. Might's an interesting word. It's actually, you know, the other two words, heart and soul, those are nouns. Might's an adjective. It describes. Now think about it. You know, that's what it is. It's just describing what you're able to do, your might. Uh, the word might is oftentimes actually translated as abundance in the Bible or force. It's what you have the capability of doing. So when he calls us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, that's, that's your emotions, that's your thoughts, with all your soul, that's who you are, that's yourself. I mean, just, even if you're not doing anything, you still are. And then your might, what you're capable of doing your strength, your, your, your activity. When I was in seminary, Denver Seminary had a, uh, a very cool, I, I think they still follow this too, um, motto. It was knowing, being, doing. Knowing was our head knowledge. You know, what did we know? Learning about Scripture, learning about God, learning about the languages, all the learning. And seminaries can easily get very full of the knowing part. And so they had a focus on being. Just being. Who are we? What is our soul like? What is our personality like? So we actually, part of our uh, curriculum was about development of our person. Had nothing to do with what our knowledge was. It had nothing to do with our skill set. Because the last part, doing, it's like might. What can I do? What can I accomplish? And, and a lot of times, seminaries are very big on knowing and doing. Let's fill our heads with a bunch of knowledge and let's fill our heads with a bunch of how we can get things done and let's move off and serve the Lord by knowing things and by doing things. And they completely leave out, who am I as a person? And if you want to know how it is that we can have so many pastors today who are building these wonderful churches and then you find out there are absolute monsters behind the office door. Or they, they take advantage of people in counseling. Or they treat their subordinates horribly. You know what it is? It's because they, they filled up with a bunch of knowing and a bunch of doing. And nobody worked on the being, who they are. 
And that's what Jesus calls us to love. That's what Moses calls us to love God. To love God with our knowledge, our minds, our hearts, our emotions, our, our, our very self as we are, and also our abilities, our force, our abundance, our might. In essence, that we uh, love God, that you should love God with your entire being, with every part of you. You can't just love Him with a, your head knowledge, and you can't just love Him with your Sunday afternoons. You can't just love Him with a few prayers here and there. But that we should love Him with everything we are, with our heart, with our mind, our thoughts, with what we do, the activities we do, the energy we put into serving Him. Love God with your entire being. God is one. He is unity. And in a way, He calls us to love Him as one, with a unity of our purpose, with a unity of ourselves, every part. We can't just say, oh, I'm going to give God this part of me, but the rest of me I'm going to play with and do what I like. And you know, God doesn't have a say in this. But oh, I'll give God this portion. No, it doesn't work. It's not what he wants us to do. He wants us to love God with our entire being. So this week, as we recite this, these verses, I want to encourage you to reflect on the fact that Yahweh is your God. That I am the one who is. I am who I am. Is your God. And that we are called to love Him entirely. With every ounce of our being to love Him. Let's recite it together one more time, shall we? Deuteronomy 6, 4-5 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge today, Lord, we, we can't quite mentally grasp you are who you are. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand why a God is you, majestic and powerful and holy other than we are, would love us and want us as your people. But we thank you, Father, that you do love us, that you have called us to be your people. We pray, Lord, today that we would hear. If there is anybody here today, Lord, who has not received Jesus, who, who is living in darkness, we pray, Lord, that they would hear the call to believe, to repent of their sins, and to trust in Jesus Christ for their eternal life. Lord, may they hear and obey the call to place their faith in Jesus. And we pray, Lord, as believers, that we would hear and obey, that we would love you with everything we are, that we would not be focused on, on uh, doing chores for you and, and making sure that uh, we had the right knowledge or that we were doing the right stuff, but first and foremost, may we love you. Lord, if we struggle to love you, teach us how to love you. As we reflect on this verse throughout this week, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and help to grow the love we have for you as we experience your love for us. 
We pray these things, Father, today in Jesus' name. Amen.